This podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world, and we hope this helps you grow. For more information at Christian Life Center, visit us at our website, www.berwynag.org. Thank you. Well, why have we come here today? Some of us come out of the force of habit, some from curiosity, some out of religious zeal, some from desperation. Sometimes we don't know any place else to go on a Sunday morning. But what if the word that we have today is a word from heaven? What if the message is signed with the blood of Jesus Christ? What if hidden in this meager presentation is the purpose of heaven? What if What if the Father's desire is for our hearts to hear and receive the message of the Word of God today? Are you ready to do that? I pray that this message would haunt and pester and nag you, and that you would be bothered with a holy bother by the message that we find here in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1. And so we cast aside convention and ask that the Lord would make us to be converted. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have grown and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not yet grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Father, would you put your blessing on your word as we uh, go through it, Lord God, and uh, bring us revelation and help us, Lord God. I pray for, uh, you, for strength, Lord God, that you would give me strength, Lord, to deliver the word. And we thank you, Lord God, for the, the lifting up of you, of your purpose in our life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, the church at Ephesus had strayed from God and the message comes to them through the one who, I would put this in quotes if we were writing this out, the one who walks among the lampstands, walks among the seven golden lampstands. And so it helps us to understand that the lampstands are the are the churches. And so Jesus is depicted in this vision and now is revealing himself in this vision as one who walks among the lampstands. Jesus came to church. Jesus is in the churches, walking among the churches, looking and inspecting the churches. He is looking to see what's going on in the churches. If we think that perhaps we have escaped his notice this morning, the jig is up. God knows your number right now today. He knows your exact address and God knows who we are. And so, he, so Jesus is depicted as the one who walks among the golden lampstands, and so he is revealing the, the works and the, and the perseverance of the church in Ephesus. In fact, 
He gives the church in Ephesus high praise because they're hardworking and they're persevering. They've, they've, they're putting themselves through it. They're working hard for the kingdom of God. They're doing all the things they need to do, trying to make sure everything is, is, is done well. They're trying to uh, power through when they're tired and exhausted. They're persevering when they're under persecution, when everything is coming against them. They keep persevering. They keep coming through. They keep pushing on. They don't give up very easily. And so they're, they're moving forward. Their doctrine is pure. They hate the right people in that biblical sense of that, that they dislike the, the, the bad uh, doctrine of one. They have revealed false uh, apostles, those who hold a, a spiritual authority that is not from God, and so the, they've revealed that, and they've recognized that as phony, and they, they are enduring a, 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 doing a great work in Ephesus, and yet at the same time, Jesus says this, I have this against you. Your heart is far from God. They had the outward form of faith, which we would call religion, the outward form of working hard, persevering, being doctrinally pure, watching out for those who are trying to lead them astray. They had the outward form down, but inside the fires of their heart had grown cold. It's important for us to recognize that the natural state of every fire is it is burning itself to extinguishment. It will always be burning itself. In fact, it may only take an hour or two hours for all the logs that you can chunk into that fireplace to burn down until all the coals are completely gone and there's nothing left in there. Left on its own, you will not be full of fire. You will be full of ash. Your coals will be extinguished. That hearth will be cold. You will not be able to have the fire of God in your heart the way you once had that fire of God in your heart because it burns out. It keeps burning out. Someone says, oh, I don't think it should be that way because God is eternal and I think His flame should be eternal. That's a wonderful theory that you have except it's false. The fire goes out. Look at your neighbor and say that. The fire goes out. That's why in the Scripture it tells us that we should fan the, into flame the gift of God that He's given to us, that we should be burning up in that, so always keeping the fire stoked, always feeding the fire so that the fire can burn on the inside of us. We should always be doing that. Passionate love for God is more than just an emotion. It is the driving engine for your devotion. Some people want to have an unemotional faith. There's no such thing as an unemotional faith. If you really believe that Jesus loves you, you're going to get tickled about that. If you really believe that Jesus cares about you, or that His presence is here, or that He hears what you pray, or that He has the power to intervene and bring a miraculous touch into that, that dire circumstance that you face right now, if you really believe that something on the inside gets revved up, the engine on the inside, the engine of your devotion gets revved up, but when that fire grows cold, the fire of that passion grows cold, it, it is, it is a, a struggle for us to continue to believe. And so this, this uh, passion that we have is crucial, for, especially for those of us who live in a harsh, pluralistic environment. It's imp important for us to be passionate for Christ. Without it, the church is in danger, Jesus says. Without it, the church is in danger of losing its place as a house of God. The lampstand has one purpose. What is that purpose? 
They shine light in the darkness. And Jesus says, you have, you have showed hard work, and you have persevered, and you have doctrinal purity, and you have recognized false spiritual authority. You have seen all these things, and that, those things are wonderful, but you've lost the fire in the hearth of your heart. You have lost the passion that drives you along. No wonder the scripture tells us over and again to fan into flame the gift of God on the inside of us, to stir up what's in us, to constantly be moving and bringing those, those, those embers to the place where they burn as a flame, to feed the fire. The passion that we have in our heart is the oxygen that feeds the fire of God. Without it, the fire is smothered. Revival... Revival comes from reflection. The Bible says, records the words of Jesus here, saying that they should consider the height from which they have fallen. We have to ask ourselves as individuals and as a church body whether we are going to settle for what is passing as church in the church experience these days or whether we're going to press in for something deeper whether we're going to walk out these doors unchanged and unmoved, or whether we're going to find the passion for God that He had once burned in our heart. When I look at the church landscape, I see people following desperation and teachings that are questionable. Prophets that can't prophesy, instead they prophesy. They tell us what we want to hear. They scratch us behind the ears so that we will hear and appreciate them rather than be drawn closer. Any of us who had a mother worth her salt got a crack alongside the head every once in a while. Or maybe lower. I don't know where your crack came. But every once in a while we had to get unpleasant news. And sometimes the prophet has to speak to us unpleasant news. Worship practices that I see on the, on the horizon of the church are more aligned with the New Age than with Scripture. Faddish and trendy things that are vacant of eternal truth, these practices obscure their powerlessness with novelty. Sometimes it seems that only those outside the fold of Christ are able to have the wisdom to see through the malarkey and recognize it for what it is. Foolishness. Our sermons are supposed to be the oracles of God. Instead, they're five steps to a better life or six ways to deepen your friendship or seven ways to whatever. It's irony that the, that the church body that's based upon grace is given step-by-step lists of to-dos. It's not by works, lest anyone could boast. These things have to spring from the faith on the inside of our heart. Emotion sometimes takes the place of devotion in the church. There's really no place in the church for people who get excited just to get excited. I remember, I'll, be, I'll tell you honestly, there are people who get excited at all the wrong times. You've probably seen it. Someone said, oh, he's got cancer. Amen, somebody yells in the back. You've had, you've had that happen before and you're like, hey, Amen. Is that good? I don't know. That's what we want to ha have happen. It, it, over and over again, we see that these things are happening in the world that we live in. The emotion that, 
that we experience takes the place of devotion. The tepid prayers that come from our lukewarm hearts are not warm enough to ascend before the Almighty God. Instead, they coolly fall from our lips and drop around our ankles and embarrass us. If a player on our favorite sports team phoned it in the way that we do sometimes, we would scream to our friends and on Facebook that that player needs to be dropped from the team. Yet somehow we presume it's good enough for God. The book of Acts shows over and again people facing tremendous trial, trials and tremendous difficulty over and over and over again. And yet they bungle it and yet they mess it up and yet in their inexperience and their unchurchiness they screw things up and yet the Holy Spirit continues to fall on that people. Why? Because there's a passion on the inside of their heart that they feel for Jesus. Because something on the inside of them has been radically changed. The steps to revival and renewal are pretty simple really. Consider the height from which you have fallen and remember, repent, and remember those things that you did at first. I had to ask myself, what were the first things? The Lord reminded me of this verse. What were the first things? It was something about humility that comes when you finally accept the label sinner. When you realize that all these church people and especially those pastors up front that tell us that we're sinners, suddenly you recognize he's right. I can't even live up to my own standard. The Bible says that grace is given to the humble. When we are first recipients of grace, we are suddenly humbled to the extent that we recognize we are not worthy, that He must increase and we must decrease. That what we are, what we pretend to be has been seen through and we recognize who we are and we're humbled by that. One of my first memory verses as a young believer was from Isaiah 57 verse 15. It says, For this is what the High and Lofty One says, He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and a holy place, but also with Him who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. There's something about a humble heart that it makes it so flexible, so pliable, so easy to believe, so, so easy to grab a hold of what God tells us to do. The humility that we have is the crowning act of our consecration to the Lord. To be obedient to whatever God tells us to do. To love those that He commands us to love. To serve those that He commands us to serve. To surrender the agendas and the dreams that were birthed in our flesh and throw them away and to embrace the move of His Spirit because we have been found out to be the fraud that we are. And yet, rather than judge us, God mercifully sends His grace to us and allows us to be called the children. As we celebrated earlier, behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called the sons of God. He who was once no one suddenly is in the fold of Christ. 
He who was once uh, an outcast, an addict, a do-nothing, that person now suddenly is the son of the living God. Suddenly we are humbled by the very presence that God would even think anything about us. To be willing to change requires there to be a humility. And when I first came to the Lord, all I wanted to do was change. Just, just take me, just show me, just direct me, just mold me, just shape me. Do you remember standing in the presence of the Lord, lifting your hands and saying, God, do to me whatever you want to do to me. Just make me a better man than I am. We cried out to the living God in humility and we la- launched prayers to him, begging him for, to intercede in our life and make us one whit better for having been in his presence for that moment. The humility that was in us when we first walked with God was so rich that we look back on it these days with longing. Remember the height from which you have fallen. We worshiped with abandon. Now we come in and we're concerned about what other people will think about us. Whether we will be a slave to the opinions of others or whether we will just follow the Lord. Standing, kneeling, falling down, lifting your hands in surrender, dancing, shouting, These are all biblical responses to the presence of the Lord. Let me tell you a couple that aren't biblical responses. Sitting with your arms crossed. Sitting on your hands. Reading your Facebook posts. And yet that's what passes for Christianity these days. If you can't express your love for God in front of everyone else, what in the world... Does, it, does that relationship mean to you? I can't even imagine how long my wife would put up with it if I just walked ahead of her everywhere I went. If I never acknowledged her in the presence of other people. If she was always the last thought on my mind. I think the moment that the first door slammed in her face would be the day that she would recognize something is wrong in this relationship. If we aren't living with this ability to worship with abandon in the presence of our God, I mean in the safety of these four walls or in the safety of your bedroom, if we don't have the ability to raise our hands, and I mean, if, I mean, if you can sing into your hairbrush and slide across the floor in your socks and underwear and sing into your mirror a worldly song, why is it that you cannot raise your hands in church and worship God? Oh, I'm afraid I will be a fool. I'm afraid you already are. We need to learn to go back to what we once had that fire on the inside of us that called us back into the presence of God. And we were so excited to be here because at any moment, God could break out and change everything. One single word would change the direction of a service. One simple prayer uttered from the back from somebody who wasn't in on the planning of the, of the meeting would change the direction of the service. God's Spirit would work amongst us because we worshiped with abandon. There will always be 
those who looked down from the window like David's wife, who despised him when he worshipped. Listen, who cares what they think? Who cares what they think? They have done nothing for me heretofore. They will do nothing for me from this moment on. I get nothing from them. I get everything from the Master. Why would I not want to worship with absolute surrender and abandon to Him who saved my soul, to Him who radically transformed my life, dressed me up, put me in my right mind, and stuck me in a pulpit? I question the wisdom of that every single Sunday morning. Why would He ever choose me? But I recognize He is a holy God. Let Him do what seems good to Him. Let His name be exalted. Let Him do whatever He can do. Once we were lost in the presence of God, the Spirit of God would move in the service. Our hands would be raised. We would lose track of time. We would be lost. Sometimes silence would descend from heaven on the worship times in this church. And we would be lost for minutes, 15, 20 minutes without a sound. I remember one service, one time where the holy hush of God came upon the service and even the babies were quiet in the sanctuary. Not a peep of a word. It was as if God Himself walked in and showed us His glory. It wasn't that we could not speak, it was that we dare not speak. In the moment of God came in that moment and we sat and basked in His presence. We looked at Him longing. We listened for His voice to call our name. We longed for what He would do for us. And we just got lost in His presence. Now we can't even make it to church on Sunday mornings. It was a time at one time when nothing could detour us from coming into the presence of God. Now any excuse will do. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Oh, I loved God's Word when I first came to the Lord. I would come home from work, swing by the liquor store and buy a bottle of wine. Sit down at the table and crack open a bottle of wine, pour myself a glass and open the Word of God and read. And read and read and read and, and, and just drink until I couldn't drink anymore or until there was no more to drink frequently. It was not an auspicious beginning for a pastor. And then my pastor said, let me show you a verse here in Ephesians. It says, don't be drunk with wine, but instead bring your life under the influence of the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. He said, you're getting filled with the spirits. Oh, saved me hundreds of dollars a year. Very practical. Don't have to stop at the liquor store, just come home and read the word. I lapped it up like a kitten on milk. Everything God had to say to me was mine. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? 
by taking heed to thy word. Hiding the word in my heart was my privilege, my joy. Everything in me longed for the word of God. The word of God became the filter through which I received reality and fiction. If you said I was still a drug addict and I had to introduce myself at the beginning of a meeting as a drug addict, I couldn't be a part of your little club because I recognized that what the Word of God says, I am a new creation, a new creature, and I'm no longer attached to these things that happen to my life. I know that's not popular these days. People want to still hang on to your past. I say, let it go, let it go, let it go. Don't make me sing Frozen. Let it go. Just abandon that and embrace the Word. The Word became everything to me. It became everything. It transformed my life. People began to think that I was smart. I am not smart. But people would think that I was smart because I was in the Word. Because what I was putting in was what was coming out. It would leak out. My cup was running over because of what was being put in the cup. Some people actually started looking to me for spiritual leadership in my little youth group. And they, 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 they looked at me. Why? Because the Word was going into my spirit because I loved the Word. It was my favorite meal of the day. I loved the Word of God. Each day I lived for the Word of God. I still do. Because man does not live by bread alone. We have boiled down our life to this material realm and we are impoverished because of it. Our life must rise above that. Remember what you did at first. Remember the height from which you have fallen. I loved the fellowship of believers I needed them so desperately. Instead of being threatened by others who I thought might judge me, I recognized that probably what they were thinking was true. And the judgments they would cast upon me were probably justified. I just knew I needed to be someplace where fellowship was. At the end of every service, I came forward to the altar, and I knelt at that altar, and people would pray for me. One old brother, Swedish brother, didn't speak much English. I'm not even sure he was speaking Swedish. I don't really know what he was saying over me, to be honest with you. But every time he would see that long-haired punk come forward with his Jesus bibbed overalls, Maranatha embroidered on my thigh, I'd come up there a hot mess, weep before the Lord, and he'd put his hand on my back, and he would pray, some incoherent thing that I never knew what he was praying. But I could sense the presence of God on him. And I knew this wasn't the only time he ever prayed for me. The power of his fellowship, even though there was a language barrier, was, was amazing. And we would, we would laugh together at the end. Sometimes I'd just look up at him, he would start laughing. And then I figured it was funny, so I would start laughing. That... Fellowship was powerful. I needed it. I needed his prayers at the altar. I needed, I still need people's prayers at the altar each day. I needed their encouragement. 
Just like the Apostle Paul needed Barnabas, I needed the son of encouragement to come in and lift me up and to speak words of encouragement to me. Now, I didn't care about it. It doesn't really make a difference what the sports teams had done that week. It really makes no difference. A sore subject this week, I get it. But it, 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 it's, it's a tough thing to move beyond that and deepen the roots down beyond that. And to say, God is with you, man of God. On the days when I didn't feel like God was with me, and when I was dead certain I wasn't a man of God. To have the Word of God be spoke to me to say, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. And to not recognize any valor on the inside. It needed fellowship of the church. It wasn't an option for those boring nights when there was nothing else to do. See, I've always had much more to do than time to do it, and so I had to prioritize fellowship in my life. And I remembered being... Fellowshipping together, I remember a guy telling me, what do you, he asked me at the church picnic, what are you doing? I told him I'm on the Daniel diet. That's before there was a Daniel. I mean, there was a Daniel diet. It just wasn't, you know, codified someplace. And so I was just doing what the scripture said. I was just eating vegetables. And he was like, that's weird. Let me taste it. That's horrible, he said. Who cooked this? I did. You're weird. How long are you going to do this? I don't know, 20 some days. What day are you on now? Day two. <laughs> I'll join you. Let's do it together. Or when he wanted to fast and pray at the church and beg the pastor for permission to sleep in the sanctuary. Please let me sleep in the sanctuary. I need to be in the presence of God. I said, I'll be there with you. Prayed and we called out to God. I needed those people to come alongside of me. I needed them to do it for me and I needed to do it for them. I needed to be woven into a body of Christ, to be knit together as the Scripture says, to have us be of one heart and one mind. I needed their example in my life. Sometimes the example of the things to do. Sometimes the example of things we're never going to try. I needed their shoulders to cry on and their hands to hold me up. I needed their arms to lean on. I needed them because fellowship was a priority. Remember the height from which you have fallen. And I remember my prayers. The Bible says Elijah was a man like we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain for three and a half years. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. There is something about that fervent expression of prayer. Not the cool prayers that come from our lips now. Our prayers need to be smoking hot. The fervent, earnest prayer of a righteous man avails much. Remember when you used to believe that? Oh, I know you would say, yeah, I really do believe that. Well, you don't pray like you believe that. And the first problem crops up in your life. You, like me, probably figure out some natural way to meet that need. 
rather than say, God, what are you trying to teach us here? What are you trying to do in us? What, are, what is the direction that you're trying to mold us and shape us into? See, prayer is everything for a believer. Or it should be. Maybe we should move away from the beautiful prayers, from the half-hearted prayers that we pray like words of a song that someone else wrote. And maybe we should avoid those prayers that are copycatted from people who we've heard pray. And pray what's really on our heart. Really heartfelt prayers. Really deep prayers. It doesn't have to be a long prayer. It just has to be a real prayer. Well, why do we pray so long then, Pastor? It takes us a long time to get real. That's the truth. We're shining it on. We're phoning it in. We're binding up. We're calling hedges and all kinds of... You know, we got all kinds of prayer language that we borrowed from some internet page or somebody's video. What are you praying? What do you mean? Sometimes I believe God gets more out of our prayer when we just come and weep before Him and say, God, I don't even know what to say. I'm too stupid to know what question to ask. I don't even know what my need is. I just know I need you, God. You've got to answer me because I'm desperate for you. And when prayer comes from that place on the inside of you, when you're groaning with groanings that only the Holy Spirit can work on the inside of you, when on the inside you're churning in the presence of God and those prayers are coming out and feebly coming up like some kind of a, a, a diluted bubble machine. You're spurting out different things in the presence of God. Suddenly, God hears. It takes time. Listen, before every single move of the Holy Spirit. There were people praying. We can go back to Anna and Simeon. Holy Spirit had not moved, had not moved at all for 400 years in the history of Israel. I just want you to think about that. Twice as long as our nation's been around, the Holy Spirit hadn't moved, but there were still people Precious few, but there were still people who were holding on to a move of God, who were in the temple every day seeking God. God, just move, just pour out your spirit. Come on, Lord God, bring us the consolation of Israel. Oh God, come send your son for us. Oh God, inter inter intervene into this circumstance. And suddenly it started kind of quirky. The spirit of the Lord appeared Angels began to appear to Mary, Elizabeth. Holy Spirit began to fill people. Before every single revival in the history of mankind, Pentecost, they were up in a room interceding and praying when the Holy Spirit came. You could say, well, the Holy Spirit came at just the right time. Well, they were praying at just the right time too. Talk about the Moravian Revival, the 1859 Revival. We could talk about the Welsh Revival. Revival after revival had people who were interceding, who knew how to pray, who hadn't given up on prayer to do it the way the world does it. They hadn't settled out and bumped the Holy Ghost off the schedule and said, instead, erase Holy Ghost and just put in fog machine. 
What we have done to church is a massive perversion. What we are allowing to happen in the name of Jesus is offensive to the holy God of heaven. Well, happy Mother's Day to you too, Pastor. I'll be honest with you. I'm not interested in pleasing your mother. I'm interested in pleasing our father. You can buy your mother a donut, but let's give to God what's rightfully his. Every word that comes from the pulpit, no matter who delivers it, and by the way, someone asked this week if they, if they would be notified when I'm not speaking. You will never be notified when I'm not speaking. Why? Because if you come here for me, then you should be buying me lunch. And since you aren't, then come here for the Word of God. Because that's what's for dinner. And if, you, and if it doesn't make any difference who it is, if a donkey stands up here and says, don't go that way, you should not go that way. That's biblical. We come for the Word of God. We are a family of God here. This is our purpose. We come to gather around the meal. And just like today at your family, you may have be having a great meal today. You may be having sirloin roast, or you may be having vegetarian tacos. Lord, hear our prayer. <laughs> it really doesn't make a difference what's on the table, or who made it, or who delivered it. It's just that we get to be together in the presence of God. And that our Father is there in that place, and that He meets us here in His place. What we need what we need is not some new shiny guy up there. And I'm no new shiny guy, that's for sure. What we need is the power of the Holy Spirit to work in us. A revived people of God. Listen, God is not interested in filling the church. God is not interested in filling the pews. He is interested in filling the hearts of the people who are sitting in the pews. And that's what he's interested in. And maybe when our hearts are filled, people will say, hey, there might be some too. What's his face? His religion over there. But until then, we're just phoning it in. We're just phoning it in. Every word needs to be responded to. Every word. Every single word. Oh, pastor, the reason I wanted to know whether or not you were going to be preaching is because I really like you. That offends me. And it offends God. The reason I really wanted to know is because I don't really care for this one or that one or the other one who speaks the word. I don't care what you want. I'm like your mom. You're going to eat your green beans. Or you're going to live someplace else. That's the way it is. Right? Many times I've been surprised. I remember I had a friend of mine come in. Well, I'm taking this time anyway. Well, I had a friend of mine come in, and he, he was in ministry. He did a little Bible study on college campuses. And he came in, and he preached on a Wednesday night. Wednesday nights, people are tired anyway, you know, because we've been working all day. And he got there and preached, and it was horrible. 
It was, it was so bad that I was sitting in the front row saying, Jesus, make it stop. <laughs> Just strike him down with the Holy Spirit and let him drop over, whatever. Just st- give him a heart attack. We'll pray for him later. Whatever. Just get him out of the pulpit. And it, 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 he just kept going on. And finally he said amen. And I was like, amen. And I jumped up, you know. God bless you. Have a... And so this one lone soul walked to the front. And he and I were on that side. And we were talking over here. And I said, well, we should probably go pray for that, that guy. Because he must be really hurting if he came forward at the end of that message, you know. So I, didn't, I thought that. I didn't say that to my friend. And came, we went over to the front, and my friend laid hands on him and said, Lord, would you touch him? And that guy dropped like a sack of potatoes, ba-boom, on the ground and shook. And I was like, wow, pray for me. <laughs> Don't preach at me, but pray for me. I didn't know that that person was being radically converted from Buddhism at that moment. Holy Spirit came on him just that quick. I was radically amazed. And God said, who made you the judge of the Word? If a monkey gets up to preach, we should just applaud the fact that God made a monkey to preach to us. And if he's speaking at a level lower than you, then maybe you think your level is higher than God thinks your level is. Maybe you're on monkey level. We should just be open to what God is doing. Because God can do anything. I'm so amazed at what happens in this church. Whether it happens in the, uh, you know, the pantry ministry or in the ministries of... Uh, uh, the, the community kitchen yesterday, just amazed to see people in, in, in the community kitchen and God blessing people there and using people and you know, people with skills that I don't have. Uh, I was there for a few moments and I, my skill set ended me at the, at the dishwashing spot, so it shows my skill level. But it, it, wherever your skills are, you see people just serving God and serving their fellow man. It's a wonderful thing to see this. Oh. God, show us. Anyway, every word needs to be responded to. Sometimes the response to the word is, get up and come from where you are and come to the altar and pray, but that's not the response today. Today your response is, we need to pray for revival. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Repent. We didn't really cover that. That means turn around, head the other direction. And do the things you did at first. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope you were blessed by it. If there's anything that we can do to help you further your relationship with God, we would love to be a part of it. You can contact us through our website www.berwinag.org Thank you and God bless.